What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the new EDU podcast. We are so excited today because I have my mentee slash... Oh <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> I have poured my heart and soul into this human almost as much as Maverick. I would definitely compare him to, it's like a second son, you know, but he's just a little I, bit older I, I, version. I think, I think on today's podcast, it's trying to figure out when they are joking and when they're not. That's I think that's, the, the, I think that's the name of the game today. So, but seriously, we are so excited to have one of our very good friends. We have known this individual for quite some time now. He is pretty spectacular. Yes, I'm putting that on record. Yes, it's now out there in the podcast world. He's going to use it to my disadvantage at some point. But he also has a brand new book that is coming out tomorrow. We are so excited. Everybody needs to get this. So we are so honored that he actually took the time for us to be on our podcast. So It's, it's because he loves you. I mean, you know, it's, that, again, that's he, he remembers all that I've poured into that's him. Right, so welcome, right. Brandon Fleming, to the new ED you everybody great teachers don't just come from the classroom they can be found almost anywhere in your life that's why we wade and hope king created this podcast to connect you with the stories the tools and the joy you need to take education to the next level nowadays everyone's an educator whether you chose that career or not and we're all in this together so come on let's do this Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the new EDU. What's up, Brandon? What's going on, Hope and Wade? Hope, I got to ask you an honest question first. Oh, boy. Who's the easier, who's the easier to manage, me or Maverick? Maverick, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him. That's totally believable. <laughs> I asked him before we even started recording. I said, "Can we share stories of just our <laughs> life together, of working together?" And I said, "Absolutely." <laughs> this should be I really good for everybody. But we you can turn that into a show. You will itself. have to understand that Brandon and I joke a lot. This is why we could never sit together during faculty meetings or anything serious because we would a hundred percent get in trouble. It was terrible. I, I felt uncomfortable every every time. It every was, time. We just have so much joy when we're together. My favorite picture that I have, Brandon, is the one of you and I, I at is, a yeah. retreat. I can't even remember where the retreat was. I think it was Orlando, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And just like, we just are just so joyful together. We can't help it. But anyways, we're going to dive into some things. We're going to talk about your book. We're so excited for that coming out tomorrow, but we're also going to have some fun with you today too. But before we dive in, go ahead and introduce yourself to this amazing new EDU community. What's going on, everybody? It's so good to be with you. Uh, Hope and Wade, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm super excited to share with everyone um, the, the book that I recently wrote, Miseducated, a memoir, which comes out tomorrow. And um, I'm super excited to share it with everybody because e- even though it's my story, it's not only my story. It's it's the story of, of so many um, kids sitting in classrooms all around the world who, who don't have a voice to articulate their struggles and, and who just need to be seen. And, and so that's that's what this book is really about. about. It's it's my story about how I got free. And it's my story about how I found not only my voice, but also my presence 
and, and how I found uh, teach other young people to do the same. So I'm the assistant debate coach at Harvard University, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Harvard Diversity Project and um, a new author. So finally, I'm joining y'all's ranks. I'm an author now. Super yay! Excited. Yay! Now he thinks that he's got one up on me. He's like, you know, if I've got to keep moving ahead, if he's going to continue to be my mentee. No, oh. um, but we are so, so excited about this project for sure. Yeah, just speaking a little bit about your background, we'll get into the book just in a little bit. What, I mean, you, you were talking about how this isn't just your story, it's everybody's story in, in some type of way. And what, and we're going to get into this later on, but I, I know obstacles come in your way. You get scared to do things just like every human being does. Right now, teachers are tired. They are exhausted. They, this is probably the biggest roadblock that they've ever been through this year. Uh, speaking to this is every student's story, I believe this is also every human being's story as well. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit? And what advice would you give teachers to kind of push through that? Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad you asked that question because that that's what this book is about. It, it, it's about us as teachers really discovering and, and understanding our power. The, the power that we wield, I don't think we totally understand oftentimes as educators. I mean, you know, we, we have the power to, to really transform the, the hearts and the minds of, of people. You know what I was thinking about here recently? I was just talking to somebody about this. I said, when you think about the, the greatest leaders in the world and when you think about the worst leaders in the world, you know, name your person. Understand that they all began in somebody's classroom. Yeah. Like, have y'all ever thought about that? Yeah. Like, yep. in, in somebody's classroom is where their their philosophies of life and education and their practices. It's where all of that was born uh, under the, the 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 stewardship of some teacher who was in charge of of fostering and nurturing and cultivating their minds. That's us, y'all. That, yeah. that that's our power. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nobody else really has the power to do that besides parents. And so th there is no one who facilitates child rearing like like parents and like teachers. And so, y'all, I'm going to be completely honest with you. When we look at what's happening in society and we're looking for someone to blame, I think we need to start with us. Mm. And, I, and I don't know if I'm wrong for saying that. But but I really do think that we need to take accountability as educators, because if we don't understand our power, yeah. then we will misuse our power. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, a lot of uh, guilty I, I speak, you know, on for myself only, obviously. But I think that a lot of educators would agree that, you know, when you said that we have to take accountability for that as educators, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. But it's the educational system. That's what a lot would argue. But I say, you know, even deeper than that, a lot of times we, most of the time, all of the time, we can't control the educational systems. Yes, we can advocate. Yes, we can make our voice heard. Yes, we can take steps. But what we can control is sitting in our classroom every single day, and that's our students. And so, you know, what you said is, man, the power that we have, and this is what I want for educators to grasp, is that standards Yes, they're our job. Yes, they're things that we have to cover. Yes, we're going to educate the students, right? And so standards do play a role, but it is not the only role in our classroom. That is such a small piece of what we actually have the opportunity to be able to do every single day. You know, can I tell you something, Hope? You know, at, at the end of the day, I, I, I want to first acknowledge 
that there are many teachers who are teaching in very difficult conditions. Mm -hmm. But knowing you and knowing Wade and knowing me, um, who have all taught in the public school system, it doesn't matter what policies are in place. It doesn't matter what conditions are in place. It doesn't matter if you put us in a dilapidated garage. We gonna teach. That's right. And we gonna we gonna teach like we ain't never taught before. It don't matter if we ain't got a single resource, if we ain't got no smart board, if we ain't got no markers, That's we right. are gonna show up and we are gonna teach. So y'all, at the end of the day, I understand the conditions are are difficult. And for a lot of people, the conditions are terrible, but I don't think those conditions supersede our passion and our power. Yeah. And, and and that's what's so incredible about educators is that look look at what's happening right now in the midst of this pandemic. The world is relying on us to be mm-hmm. innovative. Yeah. And it's not just us. It's it's every industry has to adapt right now, especially educators. And so I think we're learning now more than ever how much the world truly relies on us. And it's our responsibility, regardless of the conditions, to consistently show up. With that, I mean, e- even with the conditions, things that are going on, as both of you guys were just talking, I was just kind of reflecting on just initiatives that, that both of our, our, well, all three of us, that, that we've just kind of stepped forward and we've tried to do. And and you, you were talking about at the beginning about how much power teachers have and realizing how much power you have and, and how... With that, I mean, I know Spider-Man phrase, with great power comes great responsibility, but you, you you learned that just like we did. And teaching in a public school system is very comfortable. Doing what you've always done is very comfortable. But when you realize that, hey, I had this epiphany and I can impact more teachers, more children, that is scary. That is very, very scary. And, and I think one of the reasons why... Uh, for us, Get Your Teach On, professional development. For you, Harvard Diversity Project. I think those two things were the big launching pads for us to confront that fear with the cir- certain circumstances that we had been dealt. But it's our life that has kind of provided us those lessons. And this year has been a remarkable lesson for a lot of individuals. Everyone, no matter who you are as an educator, you go through a difficult year. Sometimes it happens before the year of 2020, and sometimes (laughs) 2020 was the first for many. It's that initiative, and it's understanding the power that you have, that you have that responsibility to be able to show up in whatever way it is, right? And and for you, Brandon, this, I, I remember, I remember when you started the Harvard Diversity Project and how it was completely different for you and when you stepped out there and you didn't really have the support of everybody. Why did you do that? Like, <laughs> what in the and, Brandon and I actually have conversations listen, still to this listen, day. Listen, we could why. do a whole podcast I know. on edupreneur wokes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's challenging. It's it's always difficult to, to do something that has not been done, you know, but but I think Honestly, y'all, the, the reason why to answer your question, why why did I do it? I, I think I've reached a point in my life where I was no longer afraid of failure be, because failure couldn't do anything to me that mm. it had not done already. Wow. And, 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 I, and I think that is the I, I think that's what's so powerful about hitting rock bottom, you know, and when you've experienced the lows of the lows of life that you're like, you know what? I've been low before. I've been broke before. I've been poor before. Mm-hmm. I've been hopeless before. Mm-hmm. 
I felt all of that and I embraced all of that and I made it through all of that. And when you come out of it, um, you, you just you don't fear it anymore. And so for me, I wasn't afraid of failure, but there were so many people who, who have grand ideas that the world needs. But a lot of them are so encumbered by fear. Right. Yeah. You know, which is why you always hear me say, you know, it's, it's, it's not about, you know, whether you're scared or not. Um, do it afraid. Yeah. Right. Do yeah. it afraid. Do yeah. do it afraid until fear leaves. Yeah. You know, that is how we conquer fear. And so um, honestly, I, I was scared, man. I was scared because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I just I had to figure it out. But, you know, it's, it, it was kind of like the way I learned how to swim which, you know, my, my mother just threw me in the pool. You know, I don't know if that says anything good about her or bad about her, but, you know, she just threw me in the pool and and, and I adapted. And, and I think that's what we will find if we just learn to do things afraid is that we don't even understand our own power to adapt to the circumstances and to conquer them. And so that's that's the way I was able to pull it off. You know, you speak about um, conquering circumstances Mm -hmm. and a lot of people think, you know, from behind the scenes, whatever it may be looking at, you know, especially presences online, teacher influencers, you know, now there's all these titles. Like, But people think that, oh, you've reached, you know, the peak of the mountain once you've been success and you found success in, in, you know, the Harvard Diversity Project or, you know, get your teach on and being able to reach and serve teachers. And I'm like, no, 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 no. When you actually start finding success in whatever it is that you're launching, you're actually at the base of the mountain. That's when the real climb begins. Is that not true? <laughs> that, that is so true because you know what's crazy? You, you know what's harder than creating a thing? Sustaining that, the thing. Correct. That, that is, is so exactly like, you know, it's, it, you, you, it. You can build it, but now the maintenance mm-hmm. of it. That's it. You know, and, and people think that, that those of us who, who have been privileged to experience success – are just the happiest people in the world. You know, happiness comes in short windows of time. <laughs> you know, right. it's like we we enjoy happy moments, but right. but the lifestyle that we That's live right. is one that is really full of anxiety and stress and trying to figure out how am I going to outdo myself on the next thing? That's well, right. What's the next big idea? Oh, now I have this audience. How am I going to keep them engaged? That's right. How do I make sure I don't keep giving them the mm-hmm. same content? How do I make sure I don't keep teaching in the same way? And, and so it's it's the constant need to to perfect our model perpetually. And, and that is the only thing more difficult than creating it from its inception. I always say that, you know, <laughs> typically because now that I am, you know, I took last year off to be at home with Maverick. And now just because of, you know, obviously People ask me all the time about going back into the classroom. And let me tell I'm honest with everybody. And I think Brandon and Wade probably know this about me mm-hmm. best. Teaching is, man, yep. that is where my heart is like on fire, like on fire. I would go back into the classroom tomorrow, tomorrow. But I also have an obligation. I've also committed to serving teachers. And so I also, what that means, and this is what I always say, is I have to do 99% of the things that I don't want to do to be able to do the 1% of things that I want mm-hmm. to do. And, that you is know, so true. And it's hard. And I miss the classroom. Me personally, my heart yearns for the classroom. And people don't understand, too, that a lot of times because they see they see the glitz, the the 
the perfect pictures or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, whatever whatever they're using to build their perception of, of someone else, right? And they see all of the good, but they don't see the struggle. They don't see the sacrifices. And, you know, I actually spoke to spoke about this, you know, not too long ago when I was on social media because I was just in a season of sacrifice. And, and that, to me, is struggle. Like, when you are truly sacrificing, you are struggling to figure it out. And so it's so true that, you know, I mean, it just, it takes work and it takes mm-hmm. what you said. Creating it, I think anybody can think it up, dream it up, create it, but to sustain it, that's just that's yeah. That's yeah, the and 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 you and you got to be willing to make that sacrifice, you know, when, when you realize that your your calling is is even bigger than just one classroom. Yeah, but but it's about reaching as many possible. So it's like even for me, it's like you know, I, I don't think growing up or when we entered this profession, we were like, oh, you know what. I want to be a businessman or I want to be a businesswoman. You know what I'm saying? We wanted to be educators, but but then what happens? There's a responsibility, Hope. Mm -hmm. When when you find the answer, when when you find a tool, it is your responsibility to give it to as many people as possible. Now that requires business acumen. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, could could we just stay in our classrooms and and do our thing? Yeah, but, but we've created models that we can use mm-hmm. to to reach more people and tools that we can place in the hands of more people so we can scale our impact. Mm-hmm. And and that requires uh, entrepreneurship. And so we have to be willing to, to pay that price. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, as you're both talking, I, I know how much hope sacrifice. Brandon, I know probably 50% of what you sacrifice because I don't live with you. <laughs> but <laughs> I, 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 I know your story. I know your background. Obviously, you're you, you, you talk about everything in your book that's coming out, but the, the the one that really hits me right here every time is the moment, and this is probably fast forwarding through the book, and you can share if you like. If not, that's fine too. But when you were working at the factory, could you just speak on that a little bit? Because I know that you had to sacrifice a lot in that time period to really, really understand what it was going to take for you to be the person that you knew you could be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that was uh, without question the lowest place of my life because I had failed and failed and failed and failed. And then I reached this point where where I had to deal with the consequences of all of my bad decisions. And and I found myself after dropping out of college, my only means of survival was was working at this uh, factory in a vitamin plant um, in an, on an assembly line. Um, where for for 12 hours a day and six days a week, man, I slaved. Mm -hmm. I mean, I worked by the sweat of my brow and it was so challenging. But but you you know what's so crazy about rock bottom? You know, some people lose themselves there, but then there are others whose passion is birthed in a moment of pain. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened for me. Because there was this woman on my on my line. I mean, it was just, it was serendipity, you know. There was this 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 woman on my line. She caught me daydreaming, and I forgot to load the vitamins in the machine. The vitamins spilled everywhere, and and she came up to me, you know, because the alarm on the machine went off, and she slammed, um, you know, the button, and the machine jolted to a to a halt. And she looked at me. She said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll clean it up right now." And she looked at me. She said, "No." She said, "What are you doing in this factory?" She said, why aren't you in school? And I said, well, I, I was in school, but but I kind of dropped out. She said, you did what? 
And she pulled me close to her and she did this sweeping gesture across the factory floor. And she said, I want you to look around this room. And as I looked around the room, I saw exactly what she wanted me to see. People who were two and three times my age dressed in the same blue coveralls with the same uh, with the same hairnet and the same goggles. And she looked at me, she said, do you understand what the people in this factory would have done for the one opportunity that you willingly gave up? And she said, son, <clears throat> you threw away your golden ticket. Yeah, I never looked at education like that. I, I, I never looked at education as a way out. I never looked at, at education as a means of escape, but that escape for me at mm -hmm. that point seemed barred, mm -hmm. barred by my bad decisions, barred by the consequences of my actions, barred by, by the circumstances in which I was born that I did not choose. And now it all coalesces in this moment of suffering and I didn't know how I was gonna get out. You know, and so that's when I discovered, honestly, Wade, the true power of education. There are so many people who grew up where I grew up and they didn't make it out the hood. And and honestly, that there then there are others, you know, who grow up in the hood as well, but but they understand at a very early age that education can be their way out. And so for me, that's what I learned in, in that moment in particular was that you can either do what you have to do now so you can do what you want to do later or you will be stuck doing what you don't want to do for the rest of your life. I mean, you're speaking to me because, I mean, our stories are very similar in both of those ways. I think on a previous podcast, Hope and I were talking about a story to where I was driving in, in the car and I was leaving Tri-County Tech and I just broke down. I was like, because I couldn't pay and all. And I said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to fight for it. And I didn't want to work at the barbecue restaurant or the landscaping or the, the, the meet and three place for the rest of my life. And, and I think that's I often reflect back to that period. I don't know if you do the same when you get down on yourself or you're like, I just can't do this anymore. I reflect back to that period of that was the big turning point to when I decided that, hey, this is what I'm going to do for myself, number one. But then I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility that I have been given a golden ticket, right? I've been given the golden ticket of education in America, and I'm going to be able to empower other people. And that's exactly what you've done with the Harvard Diversity Project. You saw a need, you reached out, and you just went for it. You just went for it. Could, could you speak on just a little bit about what the Harvard Diversity Project is and kind of some accolades that you guys have won? I mean, we're just so proud of you guys. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, so the Harvard Debate Council is one of the oldest campus organizations at, at Harvard University. And every single year, get this, this is insane. There are over 400 of the most gifted debaters from over 25 countries around the world who converge on campus to study for two weeks. And that residency ends with a program-wide debate tournament. Here's the thing. In teaching there at the university, I recognized that there weren't many people who looked like me. And, and I knew that it wasn't about ability. I knew it was only about access. You know, anything that Black people and people of color have not achieved is not due to ability. It is only due to access. And, and it's our job as educators to create that access for them. And because of my journey, be, because of what you just described, uh, Wade, those moments of failure that we experience have a tendency to remind us of our humanity and, and it reminds us of our responsibility. And so when I made it to Harvard, when I made it to the Ivy League, I knew my responsibility was to look back and to create access 
for, for, for people of color who look like me because I didn't deserve to be there as well, mm. you know? And so, and so the thing is, you know, I had a conversation with my boss and said, we got to do something about this. You know, I know kids back in Atlanta, you know, who deserve to be here, you know, mm-hmm. but they can't afford this tuition. You know, he said he agreed with me and uh, gave me permission to do something about it. You know, and, and that that reveals the power of allyship right mm-hmm. there. People who get it, you know, because my, my boss at Harvard is not a, a black man or black woman, um, but he he's a white man of compassion who who understands the, the need and the power of equity. And he gave me that platform. Mm. I mean, I, I, I need people to understand this example right here is how we collaborate to make change, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so I had him as an ally who understood the importance of equity and gave me permission to create this pipeline program. And, you know, I told him, I said, I want to recruit students in Atlanta from underprivileged schools and I want to teach them how to debate. And I want to send them here to Harvard to study at the residency. Well, they gave me permission to do that. <laughs> we started the, started the program with 25 students mm-hmm. um, from Atlanta, trained them for a year, sent them to Harvard, and they won that competition. Wow. And, you know, people celebrated, you know, broke national headlines. But, you know, there were still people who were a bit skeptical. I'm like, yeah, but can they do it again? Came back to Atlanta. Sustaining it, right? Sustaining it. 25. Yeah. Yeah, sustaining it, brother. Yeah. And so we accepted a brand new cohort of 25 students, trained them for a year, sent them to Harvard. They won again, but this time they went undefeated <laughs> and uh, broke broke national headlines. And, and still some people questioned, yeah, but you know, ain't no way they would do it a third time. Came back to Atlanta, accepted a brand new cohort of 25 students, trained them for a year, sent them to Harvard for the third consecutive year. Incredible. We won that championship. You know, it's, it's bigger than debate. It, it, this reveals the power of equity and the power of educators to be able to leverage our platforms of success to reach back and pull others up with us. I mean, just seeing all that you've done and all that you've accomplished. I mean, now, right along with the Harvard Diversity Project and the book, you know, you've been asking me, begging me actually for quite some time to come and speak at a Get Your Teach On conference. And I kept explaining to you that, you know, you weren't quite our caliber, that we really had high expectations <laughs> for our speakers. And so we've, we've worked on some things. I've coached you up a good bit. And we're oh, so excited. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> Finally, I admit I can retire (laughs) peacefully. We're so excited. I can give it all up because I've had this distinct honor. That's right. No, I'm 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 super super excited to to be presenting um, at Get Your Teach On. Let me tell you, I mean, there's there's something about when when we as educators come together, and and there's something galvanizing uh, about when when we can pour into each other and love on each other and and motivate each other. That recharging mm-hmm. is necessary, and there is nothing that does that like a get your teach on. I'm so excited we're back in person Same. because the, I mean, the energy oh, is man. electric. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there's nothing like walking out of that space and feeling like you are ready to conquer the world. So I'm I'm super excited to be there. I know we use the word magical, and I don't really know any other way to describe it because truly, when educators really get is. under the same roof, it is just like we will have pretty much every conference conference venue that we ever go to. They're just like they, what they will have employees come out and like just like we've never yeah. had anything <laughs> like this in yeah. our facility and yeah. our like they're just blown away. So we are so excited, and you actually are going to have some kids with you this summer at our national conference. Um, some of the Harvard Diversity yeah. Project students, right? Yeah, and, and it's important, you know, because uh, it, it's it's not only important for us educators to listen to each other, but it's important for us to hear from the next generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 the reason why is because honestly, 
open way, you know, we accuse young people so much of being disinterested. That's not the case oftentimes. That's right. I think the case is they're not disinterested. They're disengaged. Wow. Because what, what happens is when we acknowledge that they are disengaged, what happens is we accept responsibility Mm-hmm. For 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 our um, it is incumbent upon us to engage them. That is our responsibility as educators. It's a cop out to say, oh, they're not interested. No, right. no. What did you do to engage right. them? And a lot of times, in order to engage young people, it starts by by being silent and being still and listening mm-hmm. to young people to understand their hearts and to understand their minds, um, so that we can reach them where they are. And so I'm excited about you know the the students being able to share as well. We're excited too. So final question about your book, and then we're going to each share our favorite memory of working together with I one another. Because oh, I just, boy. I, oh, boy. I just, I just have to, and it's just going to be so good. Obviously, people are going to see your book released tomorrow, and they are going to see you know the final, the finished product, right? I don't think that, you know, obviously I understand this. I, I know that many people don't because perhaps they've never had a desire to write a book or they haven't written a book, but writing a book is scary. Very scary. <laughs> I mean, oh, my goodness, yes. Writing a book is by far one of the scariest things I think I've ever done just because you're literally pouring your heart and soul into a work and it's all about Mm -hmm. how others perceive it and while you try to paint the full picture and you try to word things appropriately and correctly to get them to see your heart your soul your vision your mission and that that is a task so a lot of people are going to see this book and they're going to see you know we already know that it's going to be incredibly successful just because we know who you are but what was a high and a low for you on this journey of writing? Because again, the journey is something that they're going to miss. Right. And so I just want everybody That's to kind good. of get a glimpse into what the process was like for you. My, my book is, um, is a story of liberation. But in order to take people through that journey of liberation, I had to invite people into my world of trauma. And, and that was the most difficult part that you know I wrote about um, growing up in the home with a man who was a Baptist preacher by day and by night, he was a cocaine addict. And I suffered abject abuse at his hands. And I carried that weight with me to school every single day. I had to go back and and recreate, reconstruct those scenes and revisit those emotions so that I can help the world understand what it looks and feels like for a young person who is being abused and shows up to school every day and doesn't know how to cry for help. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, a, a lot of times we don't know what that, we don't know how to identify those symptoms mm-hmm. in, in young people. And so it was very painful to, to revisit those spaces, but, but the high moments uh, of doing that is, is that I have the ability to take all that pain and turn it into something beautiful that can edify the world. Mm-hmm. You know, something that can help teachers understand um, how to reach students that seem to be unreachable and the way that we do that. That's what I'm excited about people seeing is that the way that we do that is through love. I tell people all the time, English did not change me. Uh, academics did not change me. School did not change me. Love is what changed me a teacher who understood her power and knew how to use that to, to reach me by loving me. And, and if nothing else, uh, we, we all have the responsibility to love first and to teach second. And um, so that's the high uh, of being finally being done <laughs> and right. being able 
to to offer this to the world, um, you know, for for people to see what transformative love and education really looks like. So, Miseducated by Brandon Fleming. They can get it tomorrow. Ooh. It's already available for pre-order. Yes. Everywhere. But if you order it, if you order it now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold, it, it will be at your doorstep this week. And listen, when you get it, and I say this as an author. Share it out. The work that goes Mm -hmm. into this project, like we are just, Wade and I are always continuously humbled and just so grateful for every single person that shares our work or that says that our work touched them. That's why we reshare it. Because we love it so we're just But it's also just reaffirming. It's also motivating to continue and to stay focused Mm -hmm. on the work that we're trying to do. And so Brandon would never ask this of you, but get the message out. Every This is not just a book for educators, but every educator should be reading this book. And now leading into the summer is the perfect time for Mm -hmm. all of those reads. So make sure you grab that book, share it with your faculty at your school, send an email out, tell them it's an incredible summer read that's going to motivate them and inspire them to, you know, Wade and I are dubbing this year the comeback year because after 2020, we need one, we need a comeback. Mm -hmm. And so this would be a great way to start that journey. So Brandon, thank you for using your platform to share your stories to not being scared to do it. Yeah. To not only just motivate us and inspire us, but also, yeah, Yeah. but also I think it's going to be so powerful for educators like you said, you know, with a huge push, Mm -hmm. which should have been a push forever. And your story is proof of that for, you know, the diving into social emotional learning and really understanding our students and how their emotions play an impact in their daily roles and behaviors in the classroom. I think that your story is going to be extremely powerful for really reinforcing that. So thank you for that, Brandon. We're so proud of you. Thank you. So make sure you grab the book. We love you too. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we uh, don't go anywhere, because this is about to be the best part of the whole episode. It's memory time. It's memory time. It's memory time. (laughs) We could go on for two days, like sharing memories. So Brandon, (laughs) favorite memories from working. There are are too, too many. I, I think, I mean, I can think of... I mean, we have memories from every day and videos and pictures <laughs> and so much content that we could share, but we're not going to share. Them. No, we're not. But no, nah, I, I think I just appreciate being able to just, you know, after a long day, being able to trot upstairs to your classroom and and just laugh. Everybody needs somebody in the workplace <laughs> where they can kind of, you know, take take off the facade and, you know, having to perform and having to, you know, be professional and all that. Everyone needs someone that they can just authentically be themselves with and and just laugh. So, I mean, I just appreciate all the moments of laughter. I do not appreciate all the times that I got in trouble and you didn't from, you know, <laughs> faculty meetings. <clears throat> Because I couldn't, like, we would both laugh and then I would be the one who gets fussed at. (laughs) Okay, so wait, we got to go back to the moments of you walking into my classroom because this is Brandon's authentic self. He usually comes in with his philosophical face. I'll call it your philosophical face. (laughs) It's your thinking, your thinking face. Yeah, he would walk in. It's very intense and, like, you can tell that the wheels are turning. And I'm like, oh, sweet Lord, like, (laughs) where are we going (laughs) with this? And so Brandon would come in with some some question, you know, that he he really wanted some a deeper understanding. He wanted to collaborate or chat about. And then he would ask the question, which his questions are at least five minutes long. It's not, it, it does not just come out as a few words. It's always very lengthy and detailed. And by the end of it, I would start my answer and then mid-answer, Brandon would walk, walk out. out. Yes. <laughs> 
Yes. yes. I don't know good. why I did that. He used oh to do goodness. that all the time. So I literally think you were that still processing so and like in your processing is like, I've got to go back and get like, put this into action oh. or think about or figure this out before I can actually oh, man. If Kirk, uh, if Kirk just, Brown is listening to this, he will, he's going to be laughing out loud. If too, anybody from RCA is listening, they would, because I did that with, and I never realized that I was like, doing that oh. until, I think it was like Barnes or Jones, somebody stopped me <laughs> and, and was like, hey, you know, that's, that's kind of rude. And I was like, I did something rude? What did I do? And they said, it, I was, you asked me a question. <laughs> like, you came to my room. <laughs> You asked me a oh, question. You were in my opinion. And while I was speaking, you turned around and just left. <laughs> and I was like, what? Yeah, he wasn't like, even I, But, I but it's because I'm in, my, I'm in my head uh -huh. so much. Uh -huh. like I, it was almost like I couldn't even recognize what was happening in my body because I was in my mind. And I just needed to get somewhere and sit down and process it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's oh, enough. So I can't awkward. take anymore. Okay, I would, say, so I, I would always say, I would always say, I've got to get Brandon on The Bachelor, like Brandon for The Bachelor. But then I was like, no, because literally girls would be pouring their be heart out to them and he would be gone. <laughs> and I'd feel that so would be bad. The best. I'd feel no, so bad for the girls. Oh my goodness. You that also are an incredible lyricist. And I think that some of, <laughs> so, Obviously, Brandon, we worked at the Ron Clark Academy together, and people know that every Friday there are educator trainings. And so, Brandon, we were each other's hype people. Like, we were – because that, yeah, that's were. hard on a Friday morning to get ready for hundreds of educators to walk into your classroom after a long week. And then here it's Friday. Some of my fondest memories are getting coffee, which, Brandon, I don't even know how many cups a day you had because I swear you spent more time oh making goodness. coffee than actually I, teaching kids. I, let me ask. Because I, I want to know how many I had compared to you. <laughs> Think back real quick. I, I, I drink three, three a day, three a day in the morning, in the afternoon, and at, at the end of the day. Oh, okay, okay. I had five. How many did you drink? Right? <laughs> I drank about five? five. Yeah. No wonder. He <laughs> what were you going through? <laughs> exactly. Eighth grade. That <laughs> right. That's enough. <laughs> and my my classroom being windows. Yeah. <laughs> all windows. With eighth grade. Oh, With eighth that's grade. That's in the morning, mm -hmm. we would come in there, you'd be making your coffee, and you would always serenade me with your most latest recent masterpiece. So I think my favorite, I feel like I have this on video somewhere of your, was it Branches of Government song? Uh-huh. All right. So, yeah. so you got to you gotta give us a little taste of it now that I've, like, told the people how incredibly gifted you are. Oh, man. I don't even I don't even know if I remember this. So it was the branch of the government song that I put to uh, – oh, it's in the book, too. It's in the book. <laughs> um, but uh, it, 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 I put it to a Crank That Soldier Boy by, uh, <laughs> by Soldier Boy. And, uh, and so it says it's a first is legislative branch. Watch me lean in. Watch me rock. They're the branch of government in charge of making all the laws. Hey. Congress has five hundred thirty-five members, four three five in the House and a hundred in the Senate. The House of Representatives, based on population, and the Senate has two from each state. Uh, I can't remember the rest of the words, but that's a, that's kind of how they. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm you, about to get serious no, 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 DMs no. for those you, lyrics. You, you were able to represent your lyrics. Let's let Hope represent oh, hers no. with oh. Hope. you Oh, we can have a battle. Let's oh go. My Let's go. Education you know how they do the versus song. thing on Instagram now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be terrible. It's Hope King's turn. Let's go. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think of a song on the spot. You know I don't do good on the spot. Well, uh, do your, your, your reading thing. Now, this is a story all about how my reading got flipped. My thoughts were upside down. Now, just hold up one minute. I've got just what you need. When a text is really tricky, use your steps and close read. 
it's to Fresh Prince. Then it goes into First Read. First Read, you need to find just what the text says. Key ideas come first, then text structures next. Read two, you should know just what to do. Find most important details, content, vocab two. Read number three, it's really easy. Make connections, synthesize, draw conclusions. Oh, me. Once you've done that, you'll look back and find you comprehended text. It'll blow your mind. There we go. Hey, you still remember all your words. Well, I don't because I really wanted to um, think of, oh my gosh, the rocks and minerals song. I have so many science songs. Use the method. Use the method. Use the method. Use this. I have so many, but I can't remember all of them. (laughs) I have my Socrates uh, song. You you don't like me talking about Socrates. No. (laughs) Socrates, Aristotle, Plato. Let's go. Let's go. Every Friday. As soon as I start talking about philosophy and Socrates, Hope start rolling her eyes. Tell me, get out. Get out. Get out of my room. I would. I'd say, uh, mm. I can't. You got to I'm go. I'm too tired, Brandon. Get out. You got to go. I'm telling you, the memories are, we could sit here forever, yeah, and could. there are some that I could never probably but, share. Uh, but before we go, I mean, <laughs> before we go. Oh, I, think, I can't tell about the binder story. Come on. That's for next time. That's for next time. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say this because Brandon. See, I can't control them guys. Brandon will be back. I can't. Brandon will be back on the podcast, and y'all got to remind me to tell the binder story. Binder story. Never. We need we need to we need to charge people to hear that story. That that is is pure comedy. That is. We need we got to charge admission for that. I have never. (laughs) I think there were only. I saw it from afar. And I you have saw laughed, it, and I'm not gonna tell the story. We're the only people who saw it. I have laughed so much in my life because I'm just I love finding joy in the moments, and I love laughing. I have Hope has never, always laughed at my pain. Oh, if James Hogan was here, he'd be laughing too. I he have re- never in my lifetime. Oh. I mean, my lifetime. No, we got to do a reenactment. Like we should do it on video, like a reenactment. We'll do it on hilarious. stage. We'll do it on stage. <laughs> oh, the national conference national this conference. summer. That is the <laughs> perfect time. James Hogue will be there too. James what is going to be the oh, DJ. Man, he can, we'll, we'll just sit in a circle up oh, on the stage and we'll gosh, reenact it for y'all. everybody. It'll be great. Oh, when my gosh. I tell you, I have Ooh. never, ever, 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 and I mean this so deep into my soul, laughed so hard in my entire And literally, literally every time crying. I think about it, I cry. Like, I, it's one of those moments that I just cannot. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Okay, sorry. I just yeah. wanted to see if I could talk about the Bible. No, the only thing oh, I wanted to say was, I mean, in education, I mean, teachers, you, you need to find your people just like, what we're talking about right now. If if you don't if you don't put the effort out there, you'll never have these memories in these moments. It doesn't matter if it's a hard season, an easy season, a great season, a sad season. Those people will always be there for you. And and also, it's just very Brandon, important. myself, and Wade could not be any more different in our instructional approaches <laughs> yeah. and the way in which we teach. And that's a beautiful thing it's because true. that's beautiful. how I'm able to learn so much mm-hmm. from them. Is because if they did it just like me, what would I have to learn? And so I think that's the important thing to see too is that in your buildings, in your teaching communities, surround yourself with people who don't do it like you because that's who you're that's going right. to truly learn mm-hmm. the most from. And while we all have similar values and philosophies and ideas and we want that we have the same end goal in mind right. the way that we get there it could not be different. more different yeah right. so brandon thank you so much for joining us oh, for this. thank y'all so much we are so excited about your book releasing tomorrow one more time it's called miseducated by brandon fleming grab a copy of it he will also be at our national conference this summer in orlando july 19th through 22nd along with some of the students from the harvard diversity project yes. he's doing a keynote he's doing some workshops you're gonna see a good bit of him and he is just like with this episode going to inspire you and and also give you tips and strategies for for how to make your classroom a little bit better than it already
already is. It's not about transforming everything. It's about taking those steps um, in a forward direction and failing forward. Right, Brandon? Do do it afraid. He's going to be incredible. So thank you. We're so excited about this book. We wish you so much incredible success with it. And we will see you this summer. Thank you to everybody who is listening. We hope that you were able to gain a little bit of inspiration from Brandon's story, as well as maybe some joy from our our moments (laughs) together. But we will see you guys next week for another episode of The New EDU. Bye, everybody. The New EDU is hosted by me, Wade King. And me, Hope King. The show is produced by Chelsea Harfush. And edited by Andrew Weller, with production support from Sterling Coates and Chase Mayo. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. The new EDU podcast is a 3% chance production.